You're listening to Potluck, the podcast that stirs up a unique flavor of people, culture, and brands in Asia. Hosted, as always, by Scott and Drago. Welcome back to our conversation with Katie Drakey. And to round things off, we're turning up the heat with our final segment we're titling Brand Burns. Now, the concept is simple. Three burning questions where we're looking for some bite-sized perspectives on the world of brands right now. So let's start with your flavor of the month, uh, Katie. Can you tell us about a brand that's really struck a chord with you recently and uh, why that is? Yeah, there's there's one that kind of zipped across my, my uh, computer screen the other day. It's called Singular Society. And okay. it's actually... Um, it's kind of in a beta launch at the moment. It's not available everywhere. They're, I signed up to be in their waiting list. Um, it's primarily operating in Europe for now, but it's from H&M. And as you know, H&M has, you know, upstairs and downstairs brands. They've, they've, they've kind of diversified a little bit. And so this one is super interesting in that you, it is a subscription-based retail model. And so the products are being offered at least the way that they think of it as a service to members. Mm -hmm. And what that service is like is you pay a small fee. I think it was around 10 euro a month and you can only shop from the, from this store if you are a member. So it's basically pay to play. And when you shop, you get product at cost. So there's no markup. So you get a, the service I'm, I'm interpreting as being um, they they make the right amount because they know how many folks are going to be shopping. They give it to you at cost because they have no need to mark it up and, you know, cross their fingers and hope that they'll sell a bunch of them. You can only get it from them nowhere else. Um, and it's just a fascinating idea. Yeah. Initially they're having housewares. Um, I noticed they had puffy coats and scarves because it's winter. Yeah. So they're doing some of their predictable things that you would see from this brand. Um, but I'm really, I'm really curious to see if this works for them and how, cause this is also one of the, uh, the situations in which they are, it seems anyway, that they're trying to build the community and the brand on top of it at the same time. I might expect to see this from a brand that already had a big community. Like imagine Amazon, if they said, okay, we're now going to make apparel, uh, footwear, and home goods under the Amazon brand, you can buy it at cost if you're an Amazon Prime member. Like that's kind of what I would maybe anticipate. And they've already been dabbling in that model a little bit, but this is interesting to see a wholesale uh, flat-footed start is what it looks like from the outside. But I'm also really excited about it by what I see Lego doing right now. Mm. They're really not divorcing themselves from toys and kids, they're actually bringing adults and kids together in the space of education and play, design, creativity, innovation. Mm. And they're letting, they're, they've created a, like a third space where adults and kids can be peers and they can celebrate what it means to play together. And this rebuilding the world story, this is just like a reimagining of the brand in a way that I haven't seen in a while from a, from a, child, or from a brand from my own childhood. So I'm really excited about that. Um, yeah. Let's turn the fire a bit. Uh, brand <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> what in the world of brands or marketing uh, you feel is overhyped, overrated, 
or just plain getting in the way of, you know, effectiveness or getting the job done. Yeah, you're probably noticing this where you are as well. Um, although I, I'm curious, you can let me know later if it's pro proliferating with such great speed as we're seeing in the States right now. But social media is just going bonkers in terms of like new micro niche channels where there's channels, sub channels, sub channels. It, it's mm. the, what, you know, that slide that's always circulated that says, oh, here's all the social media channels available in, you know, 2001, 2009. And it just starts fracturing and breaking apart. And you could see it coming from a mile away, but it doesn't feel like brands have stopped trying to be present everywhere all the time. I feel like it's a bit of brand bullshit to feel like you have to be everywhere. And if an agency is telling you you have to be everywhere, it's because they want your money. Because if you're a proper brand and you know who you are and what you stand for, you also know where you don't go because mm -hmm. you don't need to be there because it doesn't matter. And it's you don't have to pander to all of the platforms all of the time. And so I think right now we're in an editing moment. Um, this year has been crazy with so many different things, whether it's the pandemic or in the United States around the election or the Black Lives Matter movement, where brands are getting slammed for putting up their black tile or their, mm. you know, heartfelt message because brands have been coached into believing that this is what social media means <laughs> and that I need to be, I need to have something to say everywhere, every day of the year. Mm. And I wholeheartedly disagree. It's I think it's a sign of an identity crisis if you're out there doing that stuff. And so I feel like now in this moment when we're, we've seen so many, so many conversations about false information and the benefits or detriments of social media, particularly during heightened crises times, less is more. Know who you are. Edit. That's very interesting. So it's, you, you're talking about everyone kind of trying to have more presence, but without actually being present. You're saying be more present. <laughs> yeah. If that, yeah. Okay. Yes. I mean, a, an interesting awesome. um, example of that right now is uh, Bottega Veneta, luxury brand, basically shut down all their social media accounts this last month. I think it was it last month. I can't remember January. If it was January or December. And they just said, we make great stuff. You'll see it. You'll want it when you see it, when you hear about it. Good old fashioned word of mouth is still alive. People still talk. They post themselves. And that's actually, they, they, they had said in this article, you know, we believe actually word of mouth is more valuable than anything we could buy. And we're going to stand by that. And it, I think it makes a lot of sense, um, especially for a luxury brand, because people do still want to broadcast um, their favorite objects or uh, a look, the, and you know the fashion world behaves that way. I don't know that every brand could do get away with that, and we'll see yeah. if it actually sticks for them for very long. Yeah. Um, but I thought it was a really bold move and a statement um, during a time where ev everyone else is worried about how to be relevant on TikTok. Yeah, and I think I think you shared a, a Forbes article on on that front, Katie, and it was talking about how, if anything, it runs counter to the fact that 
This year, a lot of the luxury brands have declared they're cutting back spend on everywhere apart from digital and social channels. So, you know, you can separate the two, but I, but I think actually uh, you're right. I mean, maybe there's something to be said for, you know, not, not so much going off grid, but, you know, going more analog, going more uh, more exclusive, or at least uh, yeah. thinking about the way your category works. Because there was, I think, quite a lot yeah. of debate in the article about whether this actually works for luxury. Is it generating leads? Is it generating action? seem yeah. to be not, not not much proof. It would be fascinating to see, like, who's the first brand that lets go of all of social media and oh. only operates inside of the gaming environment? I wonder if there's a bit of an echo chamber effect here where, you know, we talk about it because it's so interesting from a comms point of view. Do people, you know, where did they announce the fact that they're not going to be on social anymore? And did anyone actually notice beyond, you know, ad age and campaign week and marketing week, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a fair shout. I mean, I think it's also, it makes a lot of sense from the point of view that as a luxury brand, you are part of your appeal is your you know, difficult to getness <laughs> and your arm's length. And so if people are like, oh, I really love that. I'm going to follow them on Instagram, pick up the phone and there's no handle to follow. That There may actually be a positive dopamine hit that comes from that just as much as liking and following, you know, because it's like, ooh, if there's a chase, I have to actually work a little harder to find this one. This is exciting. So it, Yeah. It's interesting, the site, I mean, that's a whole other probably conversation we could go down sure. forever around social media and luxury and, um, you know, the chase and all of those things. Fantastic. So before yeah. the before the embers die down completely, Katie, uh, let, let's let's <laughs> talk about uh, the fortunate failure. Um, so we wanted to ask you about a time when something's gone wrong, but in the end it worked out in your or perhaps, you know, your brand's favor. So what, what would your fortunate failure be? Yeah, I... I can't help but think about what's going on in the world right now. And again, at least in the United States, we're experiencing the greatest level of unemployment than we've seen in, I mean, a de decades. And it's, uh, there's a lot of people in a shared sort of like anxiety space <laughs> about being let go, about trying to find work in a unique time. And even I myself, I was laid off from Nike in October of last year. And in some respects, it was, you know, a surprise and a disappointment, but I've also been laid off before in my career. Like most of us, if you've been around for a while, there's likely a, a layoff or two in the, in your past, particularly if you're like me and you spent time in, in technology, um, the dot-com bubble in Seattle, I, I was laid off twice. And I remember my very first layoff, I took it so personally. Mm -hmm. When I look back on that person I used to be at that time, I feel so badly for her because she was so wounded in that moment. And I remember one of my uh, senior colleagues brought some materials to my door. So I had something that had been delivered to me at the office and I wasn't there. And so he actually drove it over to my house and he made a point of saying, it's not personal. Just move on. Hang in there. You know, and I think a layoff for, for a lot of people does feel like a flop or like a failure but I'm here to say each time, at least that it's happened to me, I have found myself in a surprising, promising, better situation than I ever even could have imagined. It was on the other side of some of those layoffs that I ended up starting to travel and work abroad, which led to 
just so much fulfillment and also a lot of really rarefied experiences that I wouldn't have gotten if I had just stayed um, on my track in Seattle and didn't leave. Um, right now, I'm actually, now that I've been, as I like to say, released in the wild, <laughs> and I'm out talking to companies of all sizes and talking to you um, from an ocean away, um, I'm getting a chance to really mix it up with so many different people and, and questions during an incredibly mysterious time for all of us. What is this going to mean for work? Are we going to go back into the office? Are we always going to be working remotely in some percentage? How much? How are brands going to deal with this? Are a bunch of brands going to fall off the face and the landscape will change? Um, what are, all the questions we've been talking about in this series, actually, you know, how does subscription and bundles and rundles and services come into a world in which the environment is in danger and we need to stop making so much stuff. I am so I actually feel very fortunate and really lucky that um, what what might be coined by someone as like a failure um, is actually like a, a, an incredible gift. Um, and I'm thankful for it. Um, so that's how I would respond to that one. Fantastic. Um, well, just before we say our goodbyes, um, we have one final favor we'd like to ask. Um, later in the year, we're planning on launching a mini-series focused exclusively on food. So um, we'd like to ask you for your take on what you personally, assuming you're a listener of the podcast, we, we, we hope you are, uh, <laughs> you know, in terms of, you know, uh, the intersection of, of culture, of food, of, of, of marketing, of technology, what themes, what topics you, you, you personally would be interested in uh, to hear on the podcast? Yeah, I, I've been fascinated with watching how the restaurant industry has been responding to COVID. Um, again, particularly in the United States, um, dining cities, Portland is one in which a lot of um, world-class chefs have moved from, say, San Francisco or New York or even in Europe to set up these really interesting and um, conceptual uh, restaurants <clears throat> have either one of two things seems to have happened. Either there was like a panic and a shutdown, and then we all mourn the fact that this mm. rarefied gift is gone, or they've made some of the most interesting pivots. There's there's a restaurateur in town who um, publishes their menu in the morning and sells a certain number of meals, and, they, and, and they're like sneaker drops. Like mm. these, these meals are gone in minutes, and so you have to actually be at your computer in the morning in order to purchase one of the meals. And they do a really beautiful sort of like pairing with an alcoholic drink and then a dessert. Canless restaurant in Seattle is one I just keep talking about. I'm just so excited. They're, they are a institution in Seattle. They're where, like we took my dad when he retired from uh, Boeing as an engineer. And it was really, it's always a special place and live piano. And it's, um, it has it has done like the wildest experimentation I have ever seen. Like they start immediately in the first couple of weeks that Seattle went into lockdown. They opened up a taco truck and a bagel place and a coffee shop. And they would do <clears throat> live streaming of the piano player um, so that you could tune. Like we did it from home when we were in lockdown and we listened to the canless piano player take requests and dedications through the Internet as a way to like keep people's spirits up. What they're doing right now through winter is in their parking lot area, they have set up 
uh, yurts. You know what a yurt is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're like these pop-up, um, <laughs> pop-up hard-sided <laughs> tents. Yeah, and you can book them. They only seat eight people. That's it. I think it's eight. Um, my sister and brother are in Seattle. They're going to be going there together. They're, they're going to go get a COVID test, and they're going to celebrate a birthday dinner together. And they, they started a – this is the wildest one. They started a community college um, curriculum this uh, this last fall and basically invited people to sign up for their Canlis Community College. And they were going to do classes, some of them on-site at the restaurant, like in a distance sort of way, and some of them online. So, some of them are about food, but some of them weren't. And they made T-shirts and merch and you know, the classic sort of like university student stuff that goes along with being in school. I mean, they have completely just challenged every idea you would have about how a restaurant is supposed to behave and that's just the tip of the iceberg like there's just so much going on um i think that the the restaurant the future of the restaurant business model is going to be a very rich place for creativity fantastic this is very helpful thank you so much yeah thanks so much for joining joining us today katie it's been a real pleasure um yeah thank you again yeah Yeah. pleasure's mine And thanks a lot for taking us through your journey. And uh, it was great to reminisce about Japan in particular. Yes, indeed. Anytime. Thank you. That brings us to the end of episode one of season two. Please feel free to subscribe on any of the usual podcast platforms. And in the meantime, keep keep it brewing. brewing.